obviously you made a right turn because here's the wrong kind of podcast mr ron bryce has joined me today it's just it's just ron and i and uh, we're enjoying a uh, nice soon to be fall southern kansas day how's it going ron it's great it is good weather I, i'm really enjoying this I would like to say that you're just here because you've come to tell us about the great things that are going on at Topeka, but uh, I think what we're here to do is address some, let's just call them issues. So let me get a little background. I don't know you over a long period of time, but I have, I have yet to have to question your integrity or your honesty or anything. You come across as a pretty decent dude to me. And you got a nice shirt. So see, there you go. There you go. <laughs> but this was, this was wrote about you in the Kansas reflector. I've never heard of the Kansas reflector before until somebody from the Montgomery County democratic party posted it in the comment section on the WKOP Facebook page. I'm just going to read the part that's highlighted because this is clearly what they want you to use. I'm proud of them for using purple Caulfield go NATO. Mm. Thank you for that. It says, the lawmaker, Rep. Ron Bryce, acknowledges he had a little first-hand evidence for the claims he repeated on and off the House floor. He speculated that abortion providers murder infants, and his testimony appeared to be based on unreliable data. They really want everybody to know that that's, that's a really nice way of basically questioning your integrity, I believe. Right. How do you feel about that? Right. I... Uh... I would like to probably start with a little background on that. Yeah. And uh, and I, many people have heard me tell this before, but about 30 years ago or, or so, I this all springs from a, a patient I treated as a medical doctor, of all things. Uh, I had uh, uh, a newborn baby that was the product of an abortion and survived his abortion. And uh, I was on call in the neonatal intensive care unit where I was doing residency in Fort Worth, Texas, Tarrant County, part of UT Southwestern Medical School. And I was on call, got called into the operating room. Uh, and there, instead, you know, usually when you get a code blue, you're expecting somebody having a heart attack, somebody's unconscious, they're doing CPR. I, I busted in there. Nobody was upset. And I looked, there's a woman, a female patient on the operating table awake. And uh, everybody, the surgeon, the nurses just didn't seem to be doing anything. And then around toward the right, over my right shoulder in the uh, corner against the wall was a, a metal table, a surg surgical suite. And there was a, a premature baby boy uh, crying. And so I heard him cry and I turned and uh, took me a minute, but I finally, nobody was talking. So I finally put it together that this was an abortion and the premature baby boy, uh, basically slipped out of the womb when they opened up to dismember him. He, things didn't go as the abortionist planned and he slid out of the womb. And, uh, then you have a, a live newborn baby crying, squirming, struggling, and so the abortionist was a bit taken aback, uh, obviously, uh, wasn't even talking to me. And I believe it was the nurses actually who called me because they, in those situations, uh, apparently, from what I found out later, uh, babies like that are just set aside to 
possibly die from prematurity, underdeveloped lungs being the main problem. But this little guy, I like to say he was too tough to die. And uh, he kept crying. And I think it was that persistent crying that the nurses called me. I went in there, uh, took the baby, carried the baby to the neonatal intensive care unit, uh, did the appropriate uh, medical things for him, IV, warming bed, et cetera, et cetera. I was going to intubate him, but our uh, ET tubes were uh, not small enough. He was premature, probably 21, 22 weeks, my best guess. I, I didn't see any uh, prenatal notes from the mother. So that was my best guess from examining him. He kept crying. And I cared for him the best I could over, I, I think it was less than a day, less than 24 hours. And finally, he... he died. I pronounced him dead. And I was really taken aback by this because, you know, I would say the, in the common everyday street knowledge, we don't think of, we would think it's impossible for a baby to survive an abortion attempt. And that's kind of where I was. And so I was, I was, uh, really wondering, was this a one-time event? Was I somehow just the lucky guy, uh, you know, and uh, taking care of this? But, and as, as I say, uh, luck, as luck would have it, a few months later, I was employed in work at the Department of Public Health, and of all things, the public health director in Tarrant County wanted to do a study on how often this occurs in uh in the county it was a county uh government office and so there were three of us uh there was the public health director there's a uh epidemiologist named dr tabasuri and me and the three of us uh put our heads together and over over a three-year period we we studied how often this occurs and it's not as easy to study you know a lot of the reason people don't think it occurs i think is because it's hidden. And uh, we were, at, you know, a, an abortion clinic obviously is not going to advertise that, hey, you know, yeah, we babies are born here, you know. Yeah. It's, you know, and you look at, for instance, a, a good example is Dr. Kermit Gosnell. He's currently in prison for, he's a serial murderer for uh, killing newborn babies. Uh, I don't know how many they caught him. Uh, I'd be guessing, but many, many newborn babies severing their heads, et cetera. And uh, he was he went on for years because the, the, there's just no pacity. There's no medical records, uh, uh, transparency. And one of the things uh, that I was happy to work on in the legislature this year was not only did we make a bill to help that make it unlawful to not care for these babies, but also there's a reporting requirement and whether the abortion clinics will follow the law and do what they're supposed to do, uh, we'll see. But there's a reporting requirement now at abortion clinics to report babies that are born alive. But um, we found 27 of these babies over a three-year period, 
and the way the reason and it was just serendipitous because at the time there were no medical records this was before internet computers this was like 30 years ago and so i was at the at the county health department and we were deciding how are we going to do this study and and so we we went through and it was actually like the old if you've been to an old library and you have these card catalogs and there's Oh, yeah. Thousands of cards, you know, in these little, I don't know what size they are, five by eight inch drawers, you know. Well, we went through there. It's very tedious work. And we found 900 and something people over a three-year period uh, that had a birth certificate and a death certificate within 12 months. And so we defined that as an infant mortality case, which means, and not to get too into the weeds too much, but infant mortality rate is a is a predictor of general health, and that's something that was a high. It was a front page issue in the newspaper at the time because the infant mortality rate was so high. It was like a third world country, and the whole thing was our babies are dying, our babies are dying. You know, we need more government money. Well, we found that <laughs> the reason the number was so high was not the babies were dying, was they were being killed, hmm. and. And, I, and it's hard for me even to say being killed, but I, I really think that's the way to frame it. Their lives were be, being taken from them. The life of an innocent human being was being stopped. Let me put it that way. And they were being used as leverage to get more government money for prenatal, prenatal care because they were inflating the infant mortality rate. But that aside, I took these 900 or so cases of babies that died in the first year of life and I would because there were not electronic medical records at the time and because HIPAA laws were were uh, the, or patient confidentiality laws were such at the time and because I was working with the health department doing a study I was able to go to the medical records of hospitals and find each medical chart of each baby and find the circumstances around their death now the the reason we had to do that is even if a baby died during an abortion, the death certificate, most of them say nothing about abortion. They just say prematurity. They just say, uh, you know, cardiopulmonary problems of some sort. They don't mention the word abortion. So we couldn't just look at the death certificate and see who died from abortion. That's part of the lack of transparency. And so we, we were not able to find all the charts. There were about 600 give or take, 600 charts that we were able to find and, and take, uh, do the studies on. And I, I mean, I have all, I have the data. I mean, it's not, <laughs> people who accuse me of making up stuff, they don't realize we did an actual study. We have the data, we have the names, we have the, you know, that this, was, that this was is a not question. made up. You have these. Yeah, okay. we, we have the records. All right. Uh, so uh, this was before everybody used computers, so a lot of it's handwritten. I actually created the forms that we we did the like a spreadsheet on for all these babies and gestational age and mothers you know yeah socioeconomic factors and all this we looked at all these factors for each infant mortality case in other words for each baby who died in the first year of life and we found 27 uh over three years that were aborted and uh you might say well you know 27 out of 600, you know, that's not a whole lot. But you, you think 27 in one county? Think Over of nationwide years. extrapolating that. I mean, we're talking about a very large number of hidden trauma. 
and it bothered me. Uh, and, and Justin, I can't tell you how much this bothered me. I lost a lot of sleep over it because I didn't know what to do. I, I felt like I'm, you know, the health department buried this thing. Uh, basically, they didn't want, they, they said, oh, this is a political hot potato. And so they wouldn't publish the article. I ended up going to the uh, county government and the city government in Fort Worth, presenting before the city council, giving them the data, giving them the charts, giving them the numbers, showing how it inflated the infant mortality rates significantly, because the infant mortality rate was the issue mm-hmm. of the time in the paper, in the Fort Worth Star-Telegram at the time. And so I got crickets. I got blank stares. I got people who thought I fell out... <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> fell out from outer space, you know, that they didn't. And I, what I'm saying is they, they didn't want to pursue this. They said, no, this is a hot potato. It had, it has the word abortion associated with it and it's, and it shows corruption. And so we are not going to, I mean, it was buried. And you were in a very conservative state at the time, very conservative state with very liberal politicians involved. The, at the time Foley was the uh, speaker of the house. He was our representative a strong Democrat. I forgot his first name. His name is Foley. And I'm sorry, not Foley, but it was a four. Uh, I may, I'm sorry, this was 30 years ago. It was a different one, but he, he was the, our actual representative was the Speaker of the House. And he was a Democrat. And I approached the state legislators. I just, just I've never even told people this, but, but my wife, and we approached the state legislators. Republican state legislators, they didn't want to do anything with it because it was a hot potato. I showed them the data. I said, look, it's here. These are real people. This is really affecting a major issue. It involves government funding, and it's newsworthy, and it needs to be addressed. It needs to be corrected. I wasn't trying to get anybody. I was just trying to correct a problem. The infant mortality rate that everybody was so up in arms about it was explainable by this. And I, and I just wanted to present, hey, you know, we found the reason. And uh, I went to pro-life groups. They didn't want to, they wouldn't want to touch it. I went to attorneys. They told me I had no standing to do anything. So at, at a, I was a young man. I was in my 20s. And, you know, at a certain point, you hit a brick wall, hit a brick wall, hit a brick wall. No matter how important it seems to you, you just kind of say, well, you know, what else is there? So I wrote a couple of journal articles. One was published in the journal Biblical Ethics and Medicine. Another one was published in another journal. And over the years, I'd say maybe once every year or so, I've spoken at a pro-life group or I've spoken at a, say, a Sunday school group or a Christian group or or a medical group. And I, I tell them about this, I tell them the story. And nobody, nobody cared and uh, when you say cared, I'm sure they cared. They just it, it just it wasn't a uh, it wasn't an issue. It wasn't on the front page of the paper, and it wasn't on uh, major news, right? Or is that am I misreading what you were saying? They were they lacked courage. Let me say that. Okay. Uh, they they probably were afraid, and that is a major issue with our society today. How dare you say something? We will destroy you. Yeah, and. Th- and that's what I want to get to in a little bit here about the issue of courage. But um, 
You know, I've never even told this, Justin, so this is a... I, I, I've, I've <laughs> kind of heard the story, but the story you told about five minutes ago, I ain't going to lie. That's about as close as I was going to get to losing it here. So that's pretty awful. Yeah. Go ahead. It's... So I... Maybe it's because of my upbringing, my Coffeeville, Southeast Kansas upbringing, but my sense of of fairness and justice just kicked into where I, it just came up in my throat. I had, you know, I, so what could I do? I, I wrote articles. I talked to people, anyone who, who cared to discuss it, I would discuss it and, uh, didn't get any response. So let's fast forward then. I got elected to the, uh, legislature last year about this time and the, the Kansas legislature and the bill came up for providing medical care for newborn infants. And the bill is worded to where it doesn't, it's not even an abortion bill, actually. It's, it's any newborn infant, no matter the circumstances of the birth, will have medical care appropriate for their gestational age and for their medical condition. No exceptions. That is the only moral an ethical thing to do. It does not hinder abortion, does not stop abortion, does not tell a woman she can't have abortion. It just says, if a baby is born, even if it was intended to be aborted, we do not set it aside to die without at least comfort care. And some of them you can actually save, obviously, because I, I've, I know of hundreds of people who have been adults after being aborted. Not personally, but through other people. And so when this came up, Justin, there was a... Uh, it's difficult to even comprehend in polite society, but there was a... Let's just say there was an awakening of the woke. And I, I my daughter, my 30-year-old daughter says, don't use the word woke. But I, you know, okay, we can say leftists, we can say neo-Marxist, whatever you want to call these people. they I don't even call them liberals because they are not liberal. Not in the classical sense. No, I wouldn't say that. Yeah, and they, they were vulgar, profane. And, you know, we're in there in the legislature, and almost every day you get some phone call and somebody's cussing you out, whatever. So you kind of get thick skin up there. They were, they were you know, doing the marches and the signs and get your hands off my uterus and all this stuff. And uh, I felt so strongly about this that I gave my story about my aborted patient in the uh, health committee hearing when, when this bill was heard. And the chairman, uh, Brenda Landwehr, and the vice chairman, which is a, a family practice doctor, uh, Dr. Epley, they thought that I would be the one to carry it on the House floor. And it was, uh, from a political point of view, it was a, I'm very thankful and I'm honored to do that because I'm a first year guy, I'm a freshman guy, I'm wet behind the ears. And, and this is a very, very weighty bill that will be debated on the House floor and there will be obviously opposition. And so to have them trust me with that, I I, I am very, very grateful. And I'm, I, I'm very grateful to stand and talk about this issue. So I did. 
I presented the bill on the House floor. I debated the Democrats. I, I say Democrats because I believe all all Republicans voted for it. And we we got uh, I I don't know the exact number, but two or three Democrats to join with us, maybe maybe four. And so we passed it. We overrode the governor's veto because she said uh, uh, what we were doing uh, is unnecessary. And uh, we overrode the governor's veto. And I kind of, I kind of thought it was behind us at that point. And uh, but I started to get uh, death threats. And uh, you, you might remember a while back there was that white powder mystery powder that That's right. you know I received the you know the threatening. It was a terrorist letter. It was horrible. And the the mysterious white powder and. Uh, I hate, I, I closed down the Coffeeville post office. I open it up in the post office and the white powder poofs out. And I think, oh man, great. This is anthrax or something. Mm. So we closed down the, the hazmat people came and all this. It was a interrupted people's day. But uh, almost all the conservative Republicans received that. I believe the attorney general, Chris Kobach, received one. Uh, it was an obvious targeted terrorist attack or a threat, or a bullying, whatever you want to call it, could have been could have been something much worse on conservative Republicans. And so we, I'd been through this. I'd been through the phone calls. You know who Dr. Tiller is, by any chance? The name is familiar, but remind me. Okay, there's a back in the probably 70s and 80s, maybe even into the 90s. Uh, there was a notorious late-term abortionist in Wichita. Okay, I, that's what I thought. Yeah. I wanted to make sure I wasn't talking. Yeah, and uh, I mean, this is all common knowledge, but mm. Dr. Tiller had one of the few abortion clinics in the country that would do basically abortion right up to birth. And so he was, uh, it was very lucrative, I'll say that. Um, one of his nurses called me uh, after this uh after I was on the House floor and presented this bill. And uh, she she was just shaking with emotion. Uh, and a lot of these people are shaking with emotion when they when they talk with me. It's and so I, I've come to realize that you know, I'm hitting a nerve. And after, and going back to my story, you know, for 30 years, it was crickets, so to speak. It was, you know, nobody really cared, you know, and it was kind of a tearjerker story. A baby died, you know, and, but then that was it. Now, now I'm hitting a nerve and it was, I think it is something that they cannot fit into their ideology that, a baby is involved with abortion. And I think that's the nerve that we're hitting. We're, we're, po- we're pointing out that when you have an abortion, you're taking the life of an actual baby. And we have, you know, physical baby, not just, not just some ethereal clump of tissue. And somehow that threatens their worldview. That this is my theory. I've tried to figure them out, honestly, because I I can't think like them. So I try to figure out how they think, but I think that's what's going on. Is uh, we've hit a nerve by pointing out that babies have survived abortion, do survive abortion, need to be treated as with compassion and care, 
and um, it has created a firestorm. And so, like I said, there are other legislators. Uh, believe it or not, there are three legislators currently in the in the Kansas House. Like I said, Dr. Epley, he has uh, he, he gave testimony in the house on the House floor about how he's he's been involved with uh, not doing abortion, but in the room with abortion, baby born alive, and they are just set on a shelf. This is, uh, I believe, KU Medical School. And they uh, sit on the shelf and uh, just wait for them to die. And uh, another Senator Baumgartner, she's in health, Senate Health Committee, she she testified also uh, when she was younger. She worked in an NICU and cared for a baby in the neonatal intensive care unit that had survived abortion. So to have so many legislators who've taken care of babies that survive abortion and then have the governor, for instance, say it never happens. We had actual people who had survived abortion in the Capitol, and the governor says it doesn't happen. We have evidence. We have studies. We have birth certificates. We have... I have answered every question this... As you mentioned, the Kansas uh, Reflector News, I, I won't even say news, it's a propaganda outlet. Everyone they asked me over a couple of months, I would answer their phone calls, answer the question, answer the email, every question they had. I sent them documents. I sent them names of people who survived. I sent them names of people who've witnessed this. And the quote that you just read before I started talking here that says, I had no evidence for what I'm talking about, that shows you who these people are. And they're, uh, like I said, I, I'm not the kind of guy that when people are slinging mud at me, I want to get in the mud with them. But when people call me a liar and it's, and it is black and white that I have given them the information and, uh, they are, they are lying. When they threaten my wife, my children, my grandchildren to die, I am not going to just have thick skin and not respond. And I know people have given me advice, seasoned politicians have given me advice that, you know, it's just part of the job. You just got to you just got to shut up and That's not give, not elevate the in—I won't say enemy—the opponent to the level of addressing them. But I can't do that. That's kind of how we got to where we are today in our political atmosphere that we're in. If you have a different opinion, whatever your opposition is, whatever your topic is, they will just destroy you in the media. And most folks will say, "Just let it go; it'll pass." Well, that just empowers people like that to do that. And I'm with you 100%. As, as I told you right before we got on, I got that saying, don't let somebody else tell your story. They're basically, if you don't say something, eventually people are going to be like, well, Ron ain't saying anything about it. He must be lying. You know, well, right. you claim you're not, and everything that sounds like you have evidence, there's other representatives that are saying the same thing. I guess what you're doing, maybe, you said you was trying to figure out what their motive was. For whatever reason, people are pro-abortion. I, I really don't want to get into why they're pro-abortion. That's, that's their thing. Mm -hmm. The biggest problem here you've done is you've humanized 
the medical issue. Because up until now, it's just, well, it's a, it's a woman's right to choose. It's her health issues. I forget what the new hip term is. Uh, what is it? Women, women's health. I forget what it is. Yeah, women's health care, which... But you've created a problem for that. You've, you've made there two different people there. Somebody else is deciding somebody else's health issues, which that's the whole thing. You're not allowed, especially as a man, to have any say in her health. But yet, the woman that had the abortion has clearly made a decision for this other person, the baby. She's made a decision for him or her. So you've caused a problem. You're, you're letting people know that this is not exactly how uh, things work. Yeah, it's... I, I did not expect such a vulgar and uh, nasty response, but it is here. And like I said, many seasoned politicians have said, basically, if you want to move up in politics... If you want to, you know, chairmanship, move on up, have a higher position, just shut up and, uh, well, not shut up, but be, keep quiet, keep your head down. Go with the flow, man. Don't make go waves. Go with the flow. Go with the herd. Don't cause a stink. But let me say, Justin, right now, I don't give a rip about any of that. If my political career, so to speak, ends with this term, so be it. There are bigger issues at stake here. And we, we have a society, you said it, we have a society of cowards and that's how we get, you know, Washington, DC. I, I, I don't think I could ever live in Washington, DC. That's it's repulsive to me what's going on there. And I, I hate to even say that, but there are cowards. They, they go there with all these ideas and uh, people that have conservative values and traditional values, and we're going to make a difference and once they get there, they get offered, oh, there's money. Oh, there's this. Oh, there's that. You can get a chairmanship. You could get power. You could do things more in the future if you just keep your head down now. And they and they don't stand up for the values that they originally believed in. They don't want to get uh, overrun by the uh, bulldozer that is whatever the opposition. There is a – yeah. And uh, I'm not going to be that guy. And, you know – I, I may I may be a one term representative, but uh, I will not let people who are bullies. I mean, a, the mildest term I could use is bullies. They're terrorists who threaten my family, who support taking the life of innocent human beings. To me, okay, let me go back to what we said about they're not traditional liberals. I think a lot of the, and again, I'll use the term woke, but leftists or neo-Marxists, whatever you want to say, a lot of them began as liberals. And I, and don't take this, you know, if you look at actually the definition of terms, you and I are probably classical liberalists because, because we believe yeah. in freedom of speech, freedom yeah. of the press, freedom of association, freedom of religion. We believe, believe in individual rights, all these things we believe in. And that used to be what the ACLU and the Democratic Party stood up for. But let me just talk for a minute to my Democratic friends. These people that we're talking about are not 
don't share your liberal values. They are illiberal. They don't share your democratic values. The Kansas Reflector is the, one of the propaganda arms of this group. And just as a side, funded by George Soros, after Donald Trump won his election, there was a push to have millions of dollars poured into a, an outlet that could feed local newspapers uh, stories at no charge because that's how local papers thought that was great because they don't have to pay anything. And here we go. And they just, they just print what the Kansas Reflector sends them. And that's what we have today. And we don't really have a conservative counter to that. But these people, if they do take over the Democratic Party, and, and they are well on their way, we just look at, look at people who are censored on Facebook or on social media. Do, do you really think that these people that are doing the censoring, you could say something true on Facebook. I'd be one of those get, people that uh, get censored. Get yes. censored. Yeah. This is what I'm talking about they do not hold liberal values traditional classical liberal values of freedom of speech and so forth and so i would encourage my democratic friends to take a real hard look if you want to allow these people in and let them commandeer and go down that road it's not going to be pretty and uh, i would encourage you to take a hard look at what your values really are and uh, that's that's what all I have to say for the Democratic Party. I understand. I'm uh, one of those people that they have uh, pushed out of the party. I was getting into a – I refused to have conversations in the Facebook comment sections anymore. I just refused to do it. But somebody instantly come out and called me a Trump guy or something. Then he asked who I voted for. So I, I, I listed down who I'd voted for. And up until the second term of uh, Mr. Obama, I voted Democrat all the way. I mean – I think he was surprised that I actually wrote the names every year after year. But they have pushed me plumb out their party. I'm not saying I'm a Republican either, but mm -hmm. I'm out here in the middle. And I, and like I told you earlier, I have my foot in both sides of the pond here. I, I have issues with both sides. But you're right. That new woke crowd has took classic liberal and just, I don't even know what the Democratic Party stands for anymore. It used to be, I always think of Kennedy, you know, mm -hmm. uh, your freedom of the press and your religion and go out and own a gun and just do better for your family and prosper, you know, ask what you can do for your country, the whole thing. Well, now it's like, it's like we've pulled the cord and the Democratic Party seems to be very off the reservation. Not all of them. I got some friends here that are Democrats, but I don't believe they share the same values. No, as... I, don't, I don't either. I And again, I have many friends that are Democrats. As I was campaigning, I would talk to uh, Democrats, uh, and many of them said I would be the, I was the first Republican they were voting for. You know, mm -hmm. I, these are people that I discuss things with. Sometimes we have a, a vibrant debate, but but we see each other as having common goals in America, in in traditional American values, in uh, Bill of Rights. But but we're not talking about that, and I, I'm I'm not I'm not trying to be mean to the Democratic Party. I'm just saying there's some people who are hijacking. Oh yes, what Very you're doing, so. and I just it's just and I know most people who are Democrats will not give much credence to what I'm saying since I'm a Republican. But no, no. let me just say from my point of view, 
uh, it would be best to distinguish yourself from this group. Yes. As a non-Republican, not registered as either one, I could say that Bill Clinton would probably run for a Republican now and get a lot of votes. I mean, that guy, he had some very liberal ways of thinking, but put him up against whatever Joe Biden is now. These yeah. people were not this way 30, 40 years ago. Yeah, there's no comparison. I don't know. Well, I know that you have to head to Topeka, and uh, you uh, laid some pretty good information on us. And I hope that our uh, Democratic friends listen. We was hoping to have somebody in here to discuss this. And uh, I think there's a plan in place that we may eventually have somebody in here to uh, discuss with you some issues. We'll see. I'm working with the uh, local Democratic Party here in the region. So, well, I appreciate you having me on. This is kind of good to get some things off my chest. I don't want to be. I'm. I don't want to be negative, and I don't want to accuse. I. I want to promote my positive agenda for Montgomery County, Southeast Kansas. But when when Justin, when you're called a liar and a fraud and your family is attacked, I, I don't think I could be a man if I did not address it. And so uh, I appreciate your tolerance of me today. You did a lot better with uh, maintaining low tones than I would have, but we all kind of know me. I'd probably, uh, I'd probably do my own little bit of firestorm too. So, all right. Well, everybody, uh, that was Ron Bryce. He's actually still over there. It's not like he's left yet, but uh, we appreciate you listening. And as always, I ask you to go over to the website, wkopodcast.com. All the past episodes are there. Uh, There's also some merch and other ways to support the podcast. And we will hopefully see Mr. Bryce again soon. I hope so. All right. See you guys later.